This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today, we're all looking for ways to save. That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in, then flags any hidden errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's healthlock.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. We're on vacation, but that doesn't mean we don't have an amazing show for you today. Director Matt Tiernauer stops by to talk some of the hidden political figures who've shaped our politics. But first, we have Veep executive producer, the one, the only, Dave Mandel. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Dave Mandel. Thank you. Always happy to come back. I wanted to have you back because I just love you and think you're so funny. But also, more importantly, because I feel like you are both a historian with the White House plumbers and a futurist with Veep. I didn't know I was a futurist when I was a futurist. You know, I, I think I may have said to you one time privately, you know, this was a bunch of people sitting in an office in Hollywood thinking up the stupidest thing a president could do, like the worst <laughs> thing a politician could do. Like, here's something no one would ever do. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And then just on a daily basis, and then at some point in the like the true Trump, you know, the four years of Trump, like an hourly basis, just stuff just started coming true. And now I joke with some of the writers in the cast, like every year, there are certain things that just happen again, like every year the daylight saving stuff happens. And that was a big Jonah issue. And it's just it's like we just we celebrate Veep stories. You know what I mean? Jonah's crazy immigration stuff. I mean, just it doesn't stop. So I didn't set out to be a futurist. I swear to God. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, by the way, that daylight savings time I would like to point out that. 
the Senate, they voted. It's actually to stay on standard time, I think, and stop savings time. Well, you know about this because you've written about it. Allow me to be a historian for a second. That idea of Jonah going after daylight savings, and obviously he had his own issues because he didn't know what time it was, which was, you know, very Jonah. (laughs) But for us, that was very much trying to find like the 55 mile per hour speed limit law. You know what I mean? Like to find those little tiny things that don't make a difference. One could argue it's the modern day junk fees. You know what I mean? It's trying to find those things that move the dial for the voters. But in the grand scheme of things, perhaps maybe aren't actually as important. By the way, I don't like junk fees, but I worry much more about voting rights. You know, I'm not worried that when Trump's going to be a dictator for just a day, there's going to be more junk fees. That's not high on my list of worries. But again, it was just trying to find those sort of things, you know, Reagan did it, Clinton did it, and we sort of just picked a really stupid one. Only it turned out then, you know, the Congress and the Senate were very interested in it. So I don't know. No good answer. <laughs> yeah. And also me. <laughs> but I'm very interested in it, too, as it gets it's about to be dark here in about 20 minutes. But no, it's true. And it is a low state. I mean, you know, right now in this do nothing Congress, as it's called. I think that's an insult to previous do nothing Congresses. <laughs> I would I would make that argument. Yeah. At least some of those congresses were trying maybe. I don't know. So- <laughs> But this Congress can't even name post offices. You know, the complaint about McCarthy was that all McCarthy was doing was naming post offices. Now we have Speaker Johnson and they're not even naming the post offices anymore. Well, I think he's allowed to name them, but then he has to let his son know he named them. I'm not sure how that works exactly. Yeah, the son, I mean, I'm not sure which son, his his regular son or his secret African-American son. I'm not sure. Oh, that's right. His secret adopted son. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. I wouldn't write that on Veep, you know, like like secret adoption, although I guess now I will. But yeah, <laughs> someday, someday. Yeah. My new show on uh, Mac, Secret Adopted Son, coming soon. Yeah. You actually are doing a show on Santos. Discuss. I'm not. There is, it is happening. It's Frank Rich is doing it. But you will end up working on that. I'm sure I will help. <laughs> but goddamn, I need a break. And I, I just I want better, smarter criminals. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know. you know, I want. I know. I, I can't take the gangs that wouldn't shoot straight. It, the Santos stuff, I don't know, when you start getting into the, the, the Botox and whatnot, you just kind of go, come on, really? I mean, uh, his list looked like someone made this point. It looks like a teenage girl's Christmas list. You know what I mean? Like, of like yeah. where he spent the money. Only yeah. fans, yeah. Hermes. <laughs> looks like my Christmas. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the thing with Santos that I was struck by was, He got elected not because he was like a brilliant criminal, right? Like, I mean, with the White House plumbers, you had, you know, the wife was working for the CIA the whole time, right? You had some sort of very, right? Wasn't she working for the... Dorothy was a, you know, a former agent and was a damn good agent. Who was still sort of in it, right? You know, you had people who are really... This was just like a failure at every... You know, nobody investigated him, so he got elected. Well, that's that to me is actually the most interesting point. To me, the most interesting point is just the sort of, if you will, the New York Times just ignoring it. And wasn't it there was like a small local paper, like in Long Island, that was sort of shouting to the heavens and no one was paying attention. And by the way, 
at some point, voters get what they deserve. I knew, I mean, I know we work hard to sort of like make that not happen, but at some point you just do sometimes kind of go, is this what you want? And I don't even have an answer, but that's the part of the Santos story I find the most fascinating. And then of course, the Republicans who basically, you know, what are they down to now? One vote with Mac- when McCarthy leaves, they'll, they're basically... They're one death away from possibly. Because Sheila Jackson Lee went back. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yes, you're right. You're right. So but I'm just simply saying it's like the idea that the Republicans had to do nothing but sort of protect this guy. You know what I mean? And watching him sort of trying to make friends in the Congress. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's the that's the part of the story. He became friends with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Exactly. Exactly. I want to. That's that's the part of it I really want to dig into. Less the drag queen in Brazil and just more him trying to make friends and like standing next to people who did not want to be standing next to him, but kind of had to. That I find fascinating. Luckily, there's no uh, shortage of hypocrites among the uh, the Republican Congress as well. They do nothing or whatever. Yeah. Right. And I mean, they were happy that the MAGA crew was happy to take him in. Oh, thrilled, thrilled. In the grand scheme of things, he's, you know, super qualified, I guess. You know, had a lot of credit card numbers. I don't know, you know. Right, exactly. (laughs) He knows how to rip off a lot of people. My favorite part of that whole story actually was, so as they were talking about kicking him out, we had a congressman who had been in the Trump administration, Max Miller, who said that Santos had stolen Max Miller and Max Miller's mother's credit card to take illegal donations from them both. But it turned out that Max Miller was actually had been sort of in trouble for domestic abuse. Of course. Yeah. So even the person who is coming out against Santos is not without. Look, I don't have any answers. I'm not an expert, but somehow this is all Hunter Biden's fault. That's what that's the vibe I'm getting from the Republicans. It was on the laptop. Yep. <laughs> this is this is what uh, the Bidens have been doing. This is very clear. Yeah. Very becoming very clear to me. Yeah. <laughs> It's the only answer. But I interviewed an expert in presidential impeachments and we were talking about this sort of legal whatever. And and this will be the first presidential impeachment on vibes. Just uh, it's I get an icky feeling. Is that what you mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's just Republicans don't know what, but they know they don't like that guy. Yeah. As long as it's secretive and behind closed doors, I'm fine with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did exactly. they do? They, they they tried to vote today or yesterday for like uh, the Democrats wanted to put in like something like open and something into the I don't even know the bill about the impe- the coming impeachment. And it was right. voted down by the Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> and they wanted Hunter Biden to testify. And he said he would testify in an open hearing. And they said, no, they only want him behind closed doors. How dare you want to testify in an open hearing, which none of the people that were called to testify for anything against Trump <laughs> ever showed up for. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the double standard is really infuriating. I mean, remember all of those hearings where it was like Jim Jordan won't show. I mean, Jim Jordan defied a congressional subpoena. This is the guy who all he does is send out congressional subpoenas. And they don't care. I mean, you know, we're talking a little bit about, you know, history, if you will. And it is just this sense of like, my God, like, do you even see yourself? I, You know, I don't know what to say. What was it? John Allen called it like there used to be shame. You know what I mean? It's just like, what happened to shame? Like, do you hear yourself? Do you see yourself? So my question, is it a Gore Vidal thing? Is it the United States of amnesia? Are we just too stupid to remember the last season? 
I do think that is a flaw in America in general, that we just sort of, I don't know if it's that we're too stupid, but we just like to put it to bed. It's like, that happened, let's move on. That can never happen again, or or that didn't happen, let's just keep going. But I do think there's a little bit more of, what is it, the difference between like, you know, first and second degree murder? There's a lot more premeditation these <laughs> days. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like it's a lot more purposeful, unfortunately, than just stupid. It may be counting on people's stupidity to not remember it. But the people that are trying to do the forgetting, if you will, are, are, are far more purposeful and unfortunately just far more sinister. I mean, I don't know. Coup jokes don't seem funny anymore. I don't know. Just speaking from a joke standpoint, from a joke writing <laughs> standpoint, the notion of ha 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 and here come armed soldiers to take over. It just starts to like, oh, wait, maybe. I don't know. You know? Right. I mean, when it's in the possible realm of possibility, I feel like that does undermine. Yeah. No, it's when it couldn't happen that it seems funny. When it could happen on, you know, whatever, January 7th, I guess. Maybe they'll give us a day next time. I don't know. Or January right. 20th, 21st, you know, whenever. I don't know. But just it's a lot less funny. I was laughing. I don't know why this keeps making me laugh. I just like the idea that Trump will slowly reduce the amount of time that he's willing to be a dictator, where he'll just kind of give these different statements and go, I will just be a dictator for six hours. You know, like I like it as if like, oh, that's so much better than a day. It's just like, oh, my God, I'll just be Fuhrer for six hours. Come on. Right, exactly. But it is this larger question of like how we got here, where like I didn't like W. I mean, I don't know that he was a genius, but he was a, you know, he made it through Yale. He, I mean, I guess Trump made it through Penn. So forget it. Never mind. A bad example. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this, and it's like I can think of a lot of Republican presidents that I didn't care for, but I didn't hate them with a passion of a thousand sons. And I did not feel <laughs> like they were trying to, I don't know, like that, that there was a chance. And it, yeah, that, yeah, that they would, and that there was a chance that they would never leave office. You know what I mean? Or try and pass it on. Well, I guess, you know, George Bush technically did eventually pass the presidency on to his son, but there were elections, or at least the there were seemingly elections, you know. <laughs> right. So I maybe that's not a good example either. But you know what I'm kind of going for. There's just a like a true on sense of like we just seem like the kind of country we used to make fun of. Like it just seems like we're a country, like some weird little country in Europe that like no one like like, you know, oh my God, you see what they did? You know, and it's just like now it's us. Yeah. That's that's the problem. Yeah, we're like Liechtenstein, except yes, exactly. without like all the some, money. Some weird little movie of some sort where it's just like, well, now you're the king. Wait, what? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good point. And I do. I also think that we were always a country that the rest of the world made fun of. So the fact that we've only become worse <laughs> is probably not a great sign. Not good at all. But I mean. You know, look, there are all these things that we like to ignore, that there are no newspapers. And even there are the newspapers that exist. A lot of people don't read them and where people are getting their news. And all these things work hand in hand. And maybe it was all part of a master plot. Maybe it wasn't. It doesn't really matter. These things all work together. So it's just kind of like... To get us here. Yeah. The the average Trump supporter, the the diehard, you know, like like he's the man, whatever... The fact that like Donald Trump and by the way, there are probably a lot of Democrats that don't really care about the average working man. But 
Trump says it out loud and it doesn't seem to change people's opinions. You know what I mean? I, I just that's the part where I just go, I don't get it. And I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I think we should devote like the rest of our time talking about how much tech bros have ruined the world. Yeah, that's pretty because, good. Yeah. Well, not political in nature. It is politically adjacent. After making billions of dollars off us, they have decided now they are going to be the mainstream media. Discuss. Obviously, you know, uh, the great defender of free speech, uh, Elon Musk, uh, has now decided <laughs> that some speech is freer than others. These tech guys, you know, they've always liked to sort of put themselves into this other category. You know, they were always were, you know, we call them jokingly tech bros, but, you know, they always like wanted to pretend like tech was this other thing. And at the end of the day, they're just robber barons and they just want the same things. They want no taxes. They want their workers to work crazy hours at really terrible price. You know, they just they want right. everything that the worst guy from the 1800s wanted, you know, and they, <laughs> right. but, they, but this idea that somehow that they don't, that it's other because they're doing futuristic stuff. You know, it just it's just absolute fucking bullshit. Just another group of guys where why not have 20 billion? Oh, if I've got 20 billion, boy, 22 billion would be so much fucking better. Let's just fuck everything up and fuck everyone over. I mean, that's the part that's just disgusting. I don't know what else to say. My favorite part about Elon, though, is here is this guy, right? We have basically been giving tech bros free content because we were told that it was the only way, right? You have to give them free. You're not allowed to charge. I mean, I remember my mother writing for the Huffington Post a million years ago and people chastising her and being like, you know, you're not making any money. You're devaluing the currency, right? Because she would write for it for free because it, she'd be on the cover of it. And fast forward, right? Here we are. Now tech bros have gotten our content for free. And now they're like, we don't actually want a mainstream media at all. We're just going to have, you know, the Krasensteins, you know, and Tucker Carlson and, you know, three other guys. And as of what, as of two days ago, Alex Jones now, right? We're, Alex is back. Yeah. But I mean, the mainstream media is such a like piddly little business compared to like. But this is the problem. I mean. Elon Musk, you know, I guess likes to present himself as one of the smartest men in the world, okay, but bought Twitter basically because he kind of said the wrong thing in some ways, like stu like almost like drunkenly bought a billion dollar company, has run right. it into the ground, changed the name of it, destroyed the branding of it, opened it up to just insane racism and anti-Semitism. I mean, it's just a day does not go by, and this hasn't happened in years where just I'm just constantly being attempted to be followed by, you know, bots and fake people in a way that, you know, hadn't gone on in like, you know, six years, seven years, like just crazy mess. But just like, I guess where I'm kind of going with this is ran this thing into the ground where it makes no money. He legitimately lost money on it. Like about $20 billion, not like. Right. But it doesn't matter because his car company and his space company that we are still giving giant tax breaks to <laughs> made yes. so much money, it not only paid for his fuck-ups, 
but he can like do even more fuck ups. So that is the oil companies. Just it's now a tech guy. And that's the problem. No, that's right. And I think it's both annoying and also. But I mean, I guess the idea is he doesn't want anyone writing anything bad about him. Right. I guess everything is free until you criticize him. And honestly, if I had the energy, the only postings I would do would be just, you know, making fun of him. If I had the the time and the energy, <laughs> like that to me is what everyone on Twitter should just be doing, like literally posting nothing but making up stuff about him. And honestly, at some point, I think it's better to do stuff that's real. But honestly, I would if I if I could, if I could command the world, just post fake shit about Elon Musk day and night, just inundate the site. <laughs> That would be enjoyable. <laughs> but again, no lesson learned, because even if he shut it down tomorrow, but even if he just said Twitter's done, I'm gone, we're closing the doors, it doesn't work anymore, he wouldn't lose any money, and he'd probably figure out a way to sell all our home addresses or something, or our, all our right. email addresses right. to someplace <laughs> even worse. You know what I mean? So I don't know. That's the problem when you can do this and somehow continue to profit. That is our system in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I've depressed Thank myself. You. I got to call my therapist. Sorry. This, yeah. <laughs> Dave Mandel, <laughs> please come back. Anytime. I always love it. I always love uh, coming on saying hi. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. 
That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Matt Tiernauer is a director of films like Where Is My Roy Cohen and Valentino, The Last Emperor. Welcome to Fast Politics, Matt. Thank you. First, you've made so many amazing movies, but I, I want to talk to you about Roy Cohen because I feel like this all starts with Roy Cohen. Trumpism, this whole shit show, Roy Cohen. I couldn't agree more. I mean, he's really the zealot of our present moment. A few years ago, I put out a movie called Where's My Roy Cohn? The title given to me by the former guy who exclaimed when Jeff Sessions wouldn't do his bidding as attorney general, where's my Roy Cohn? Meaning where's my law-breaking, convention-busting, mob-adjacent attorney slash attorney general? And the premise of that film was to uh, show people in what Gore Vidal used to call the United States of amnesia. Yeah, we're just talking the about this. Yes. The, in the last interview, <laughs> I said, "Is does this relate to the United States of amnesia? Exactly. The man who was Bengali to Joe McCarthy was Bengali to Donald Trump. So that type of politic was always brewing, kind of coming up above the surface, occasionally geysering, like in the McCarthy period going back down, then the John Birch era, going back down, and then really it's back with a vengeance, of course. I mean, it's gone back down during uh, a bit, during the Biden three years, but now we're poised for another big explosion. I think about Gore Vidal, who I knew a little bit when I was a, when I was a kid, and how he was of that generation of writers and not so different in age, a little bit older than Hitch, Christopher Hitchens. But those guys really wrote these political pieces that really uh, had a lot of breadth to them. I wonder why we don't have that so much anymore. Well, I don't think people read essays in the popular press anymore. It's weird because just like the magazine, I used to be a magazine journalist at Vanity Fair and the magazine's really dead. That type of magazine used to be it. You know, that was the, the great prestige thing. And that as a forum really doesn't exist in that way anymore because media has become atomized. Of course, people write at length in places like Medium and Substack. 
and there's wonderful thinking and writing, but it's not in that sort of front and center place anymore where uh, Hitchens or Vidal or uh, Heaven for Fend, William F. Buckley could be public figures and public intellectuals. And for God's sakes, I mean, those guys were on the Dick Cavett show and Johnny Carson and Merv Griffin. We had public debates. Yeah, well, I mean, it was just more focused. I mean, if you're old enough to remember the twilight of the great Anchorman era, when you had a Walter Cronkite and a John Chancellor, uh, and later a Brokaw and a Jennings and a Rather to sort of give you an agreed upon agenda that conformed to an idea of the public trust in media, which was that there were agreed upon facts. I and mean, of course, sometimes the narratives were wrong, but they were generally, I think, more in the public trust. More right than they are now. Certainly. And people look to those figures. So there was sort of like a, a focal point. Now, of course, everything's atomized and we don't need to get into that because it's the, the Twitterverse or the experts. And I think that's just a symptom of, of the present moment in media that we're in. But it like everything, it's everyone's distracted and strung out and their cortisol levels are so high because we're all kind of like bobbing our heads up and down to our iPhones and red-pilled and blue-pilled. I think of Vidal and a Hitchens and the great public intellectuals of the time, you know, a Sontag even, they wouldn't command the same type of audience. Of course, they'd be Twitter stars. And where does that get you? I mean, you're, you're a Twitter star, aren't you? I mean, what what do you think your influence is compared to a Hitchens? What kind of question? Wait, no, no, no. No, no, no. You don't get to... You're on my podcast, buddy. You don't get to ask me. First of all, I'm not going to answer that question because what is my influence compared to a Hitchens? Or oh, more influential than Hitchens. Well, it's rhetorical. But I mean, I think, I don't know, that world doesn't exist anymore. As someone who is very much a product of that world, I don't think that tech bro barons are such a great thing because, you know, they have a completely narcissistic interest in the mainstream media and the interest in creating their own media like a sort of in-style magazine for 2023, right? They just want sort of adulation. But I also think that back then, you know, you had this incredible bar to entry, right? You couldn't have, you know, there were the people who were part of the media were affluent. They were largely white. They were almost always men. They were, you know, they had a very similar worldview. The narratives were very, very similar. It was not easy to break in. And it was also, there was not a lot of diversity of thought. So I think like, yes, there was some great writing that happened during that period. And I think about Tom Wolfe's journalism was like some of the best, right? All these people are white men. There are a few women who are allowed to, you know, there's a Joan Didion once in a while, but like, you know, they're pretty white and they're pretty male. So in my mind, I don't necessarily think that we were so well off then, but I do think what we have now is also very problematic. Yeah. I mean, you just outlined the bad part. That was really the bad part. Of course. Of course. I mean, there's a good part to all of the atomization, of course, but obviously, there's their great danger looms ahead. The media barons before had to adhere to a kind of guardrail, which was the public trust. If you were going to be licensed, you you had to be responsible. But to period to that sense that you were talking about, right. yeah, of course, more diversity is better. But managing media companies and the, pub, the so-called public square, the sense of the public trust that the great FCC chairman, Newton Minow, declared in the 60s, you know, has just whittled away. 
So what are you working on now? Politics wise, I'm actually, and I think this is the first time this has ever been revealed. I'm doing a documentary about your guest of, I think, three days ago, James Carville. Yes, he told me. That's right. He actually did tell me. A Carville documentary. How did you get there? And also, I am delighted. You know, James has been on the scene for more than 30 years now. It's hard to maintain that level of household name fame for that long and relevance. And I think he's an American original. I thought that would be a great person to focus on. I think he's also a truth teller. And I think he's the one Democrat that can speak to people who are limousine liberals, it seems, which is an incredibly important trait right now in our present political moment. So it's also a meditation on politics of the last 30 years, at first through his lens as someone who's credited with helping Clinton win the White House, teaching Democrats that they could win again, how to win an election, which often is, I think, something that Democrats don't really pay heed to. I think people forget that James Carville and Mary Madeline were political media supernovae in the uh, 90s. And I want to go back and look at that moment because they were a bipartisan marriage, absolute superstars, household names, and they really captured the American uh, imagination. I think people were sort of filtering their own marriages through them. And that moment, I think, is really fascinating to to re-examine. So it's all wrapped up in this movie I'm doing on James. I've been following him for approximately two years as he oh, stumped wow. the country. So very active. <laughs> yes. And very relevant. I mean, he was the first in Kansas, the National Democrat. You know, I think he was the only National Democrat to go to Kansas when they were doing the uh, pro-choice referendum. And uh, that one, which was a, a bellwether. He actually really is very much part of America. I mean, he spends a lot of time, right, in parts of Louisiana that don't have a uh, Starbucks. Far from it. I mean, he's from a place called Carville, Louisiana, where I filmed with him. I think it was 98% black when you grew up, and I think it still is almost that ratio. Uh, they were the family that kind of had the postal concession there and ran the general store. What I realized when I went back there with James is that I think his empathy and his life's project is to help the marginalized through democratic politics because he comes from one of the most marginalized communities in the United States. Yes, he was a white guy in a really poor black part of Louisiana, but he emerged as a uh, pro-civil rights political activist who I think learned empathy by seeing all of the disadvantaged people with whom he grew up. And he devoted his life to try to correct the, the wrongs that were embedded in the economic political system of this country. So that's really the, the Carville project I've discovered. And that type of progressive politics of that era is something he embodies. And he's the best kind of soundbite strategist and big picture strategist, I think, that uh, politics has had in probably several generations. I also, it's interesting, like, I think about, like, the Republican equivalent of him. Is that, like, Newt Gingrich? Well, I think at a, at a moment it was probably Lee Atwater. Right. Oh, that's a good point. And Lee Atwater died young. And uh, uh, interestingly, Atwater was the mentor of Mary Matlin, who's James Carville's wife. So there, there are a lot of strange and coincidental, or maybe not so coincidental, themes in this that emerge from the, the politics of that era that prefigures our own. Much like my Roy Cohn movie, I, I, that's what I like doing. I like kind of digging out hidden themes or themes that have gone underground in the United States of amnesia. 
since we're not taught yeah. history and no one remembers anything, or we can Google it and then forget it two seconds later. I, I think that's how I like to address my my form or kind of practice my form, which is uh, the long, deep dive cinematically to be a sort of national reckoning moment of these themes that have haunted us throughout the 20th century. And we seem to forget them. And then they come up and hit us in the face like a two by four because we're not looking. Were you able to interview any of the Clintons? I interviewed A. Clinton, who was in a uh, presidential situation oh, at yes. one time. Yeah. That's <laughs> the one. <laughs> Probably the most relevant one to that movie, I would think. Yeah, I mean, they're both. Well, actually, Hillary hired I think, more or less. I mean, it really was the two-for-one era of the Clintons at that time. I mean, she was very important in the campaign, and she was a chief strategist in that campaign. It's really interesting to uh, kind of go granular and revisit how that campaign worked, because you have to remember in the early 90s, a lot of really wise people around democratic politics thought there'd never be another democratic president again. After Carter. Yeah, I mean, after Jimmy Carter's loss and Walter Mondale's loss and Reagan, and, you know, Poppy Bush's triumph and as the third term of Ronald Reagan. I think what Bill Clinton and James Carville and the people involved in that campaign show was that you could win as a Democrat. And I don't agree with a lot of their politics, frankly. I'm, I'm a little more liberal than those people. But I think that's one of the lessons of Carville that's relevant to this moment is you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You've got to win right. election in order to affect change. And I mean, when he talks to you on this podcast, he preaches that. And I think it's a really important lesson for us, uh, especially at this time when we have such fractious politics and identitarian politics that is a particular problem in the Democratic Party. I think James has been the one who's spoken up and just said, look, everyone, like, let's just get a Democrat elected and not face the abyss and the dissolution of the project that the founders uh, kicked off 250 years. Yeah, you definitely have much higher stakes than a sort of normal politics. But that movie, The War Room, yeah, was one of the great movies about political campaign. It was. It's a, a D.A. Pennebaker film. He's one of my heroes, really one of the gods of cinema verite filmmaking, which is the type of filmmaking I like to do most. He embedded in the uh, 92 uh, Little Rock headquarters. And in that film, if, if the audience hasn't seen it, you get to see Carville and George Stephanopoulos, who was the communications director at that time before his media career for Bill Clinton, steer the campaign. And it's a really interesting fly on the wall look at how brilliant they were. And particularly James. It's really James's movie to see uh, his vision and uh, what a kind of inspiring visionary character he was. And also, by the way, up from nothing, he was a total failure, James Carville, until he was in his, I think, late 40s. He hit it when he was about 50 with that campaign. Aren't we all, man? I do think that George Stephanopoulos does not age. Or he was 11 in that movie. Maybe both. Maybe both. Matt, very excited to see that movie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. 